Thank you for watching NTD Business Top Stories tonight. Google laying off 12,000 workers, joining a growing list of big tech companies to trim staff. Another data breach at T-Mobile affecting millions of users. What information was hacked? The U.S. government fighting fake organic foods. People are falsely labeling non-organic foods as organic, leading to a loss of integrity in the industry. And one tech expert sounding the alarm about a potential quantum attack on the U.S. aviation system after the recent FAA meltdown. What's at stake? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us. Don Ma here. New data out today shows U.S. existing home sales plunging to a 12-year low in December, marking the 11th straight monthly decline. This is the longest stretch since 1999. This is according to the National Association of Realtors. It says existing home sales fell 1.5% last month. It caps a terrible year for home resales, which fell nearly 18% in 2022 to the lowest level since 2014. The Federal Reserve's interest rate hiking cycle, the fastest since the 1980s, has plunged housing into a recession. And meanwhile, Google is laying off 12,000 workers, or about 6% of its workforce, becoming the latest tech company to trim staff. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. Google has had to alert its employees that they'll have to lay off up to 12,000 people. Mrs. joins the latest trend in the tech industry of massive layoffs. This recent addition of layoffs adds to Microsoft's 10,000, Meta's 11,000, Cisco's 4,100, and Twitter's 3,700. In just the past month, there have been nearly 50,000 job cuts across the technology sector. As they said in their uh, blog post, uh, they overhired during the uh, pandemic, and that's the same reason many other tech companies have given for layoffs. Google parent company Alphabet's stock jumped in the market. This often happens when investors are hoping that job cuts will reduce company expenses and add to net profits. They're taking that that action to uh, to adjust their costs to what is expected to be a, a rocky period in the next few quarters. The Silicon Valley giant CEO Sundar Pichai shared the news Friday in an email to staff, which was also posted on the company's news blog. Those job cuts are hitting smaller players as well. UK-based cybersecurity firm Sophos laid off 450 employees, or 10% of its global workforce. And cryptocurrency trading platform Coinbase cut 20% of its workforce, about 950 jobs, in its second round of layoffs in less than a year. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And still more layoffs as Vox Media becomes the latest company as well in the media and technology sector to cut its workforce. Chief Executive Jim Bankoff sent a memo to employees today informing them that the company will lay off 7% of its workforce, joining job cuts in the technology sector. But it's not just tech layoffs. Layoffs have been impacting the news business as well. CNN, MSNBC, Gannett and others have cut their staffs. The Washington Post is also expected to announce layoffs soon. Companies that haven't laid off employees are taking big steps to cut costs. And on Wall Street, stocks rallied today, closing higher. The Dow added 331 points, or 1 percent. S&P rose 74 points, or 1.9 percent. The Nasdaq gained 228 points, or 2.7 percent. 
T-Mobile yesterday said it's investigating a data breach involving 37 million postpaid and prepaid accounts. The mobile carrier said it identified malicious activity on January 5th. It said no sensitive data like financial information was compromised, but basic customer data was obtained. That's like names, billing addresses, emails, and phone numbers. The Wall Street Journal reported Thursday that the FCC has opened an investigation into the data breach. Last year, T-Mobile agreed to pay $350 million and spent an additional $150 million to upgrade data security. Those payments were made to settle litigation over a cyber attack in 2021. T-Mobile has more than 110 million subscribers. Airplane maker Boeing has been ordered to appear in a Texas federal court next week. It's about a fraud charge involving their certification of the 737 MAX. The case is connected to a 2019 crash where all 157 people on board were killed, leading to a 20-month grounding of the jet. Boeing entered into a deferred prosecution agreement with the federal government in 2021, but it did not involve family members of crash victims. They argued to the court that they should have been allowed to participate in the case, and a judge did agree. Now families of the victims or their attorneys may speak at the arraignment. And the FAA is releasing a new explanation for the computer meltdown that grounded air traffic nationwide last week. It caused over 10,000 delays and over 1,000 cancellations. Federal Aviation Administration officials are pointing the finger at unintentionally deleted computer files. They say contract personnel accidentally deleted files in the Notice to Air Missions or NOTAM database. On the plus side, though, the FAA was relieved to find the cause was human error, not a cyber attack caused by someone with malicious intent. The agency says it has taken steps to make the NOTAM system more resilient. Though a cyber attack is ruled out, it does still represent a warning to government as well as the private industry. And earlier I spoke with Arthur Herman about how to keep the U.S. air sector secure. He's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. His research programs analyze defense and technology issues. Arthur, thanks for joining me today. You know, I was just reading uh, your commentary on Forbes uh, titled Getting America's Skies Quantum Ready. Maybe to start off, just explain to us, uh, what do you mean by that? What, what does it mean, what, getting America's skies, you know, quantum ready? Well, I'll tell you, this, was, this column was inspired by what happened last week, when we had a major shutdown of flights across the country because of a glitch. What it did was really underline the degree to which our airline uh, system and aviation system has been vulnerable, highly vulnerable, to hacking attack for a long time. And although there have been efforts to try and catch up and to update and to modernize the system to uh, integrate it more with 21st century technology, at the same time that it's a system which is vulnerable to current cybersecurity attack, it's also important for us now to think ahead and think about the vulnerability of the airlines and aviation and air traffic control for a future quantum computer attack. And this is really what I was getting at, that, be, that a future quantum computer attack on our aviation system would be one that would not just be disruptive of 
flight schedules um, or force airports to shut down for a period of time while they were trying to reset and overcome the hack, they would enable a, the malicious user of a quantum computer to really manipulate and control and misdirect flights and schedules and and airliners uh, in ways that we that a, a catastrophic scale that we can't even really imagine at this point. We haven't really sorted out just how bad that would be to have a protracted hack like that, which we really couldn't identify who's controlling it, why they're doing it, and why flights and air, airliners are taking off and crashing. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an apocalyptic scenario we're talking about if we're talking about a future quantum computer attack. How you would rate the current uh, air infrastructure in the U.S.? How, 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 how vulnerable is it right now to hackers? Well, hackers have proved that it is pretty vulnerable. Um, air traffic control system, not so much because so much of it is not online, which means, and that's, that's, that's on purpose. That's to prevent hackers from getting in and messing around with our air traffic control system on the national level. But for airports, uh, for the Wi-Fi that you use when you fly and you, you, you uh, enter into uh, the internet via, via the Wi-Fi connection on air, airliners, um, the airlines themselves, reservation system, all of these are safeguarded with technologies that a really determined hacker can get through, and they've done it, and they've proved that they're able to do so. So we need a big security upgrade for our aviation industry, for our aviation system as a whole. And one of the most important steps that we can do is to make sure it's quantum safe and quantum ready for when that threat really becomes something to, to, that we have to deal with in, a, in, an, urgent, in an urgent way. Uh, Arthur Herman, Hudson Institute, pleasure speaking to you today. Pleasure speaking to you as well. The FBI chief is raising concerns about China's artificial intelligence program. At the World Economic Forum yesterday, Christopher Wray said Beijing could use its AI program for malicious purposes. Their AI program is not constrained by the rule of law, uh, is built on top of the massive troves of intellectual property uh, and sensitive data that they've stolen over the years uh, and will be used uh, unless checked. Uh, to advance that same hacking program, to advance that same intellectual property theft, to advance the repression uh, that occurs not just uh, back home in mainland China, but increasingly is uh, a product that they export around the world. Ray said these are issues that the U.S. is deeply concerned about. Back in late 2021, U.S. officials also warned about China's AI ambitions. They told businesses, academics, and government officials about the risks of accepting Chinese investment or expertise in key industries. Now, over in Arizona, authorities say they've seized 440 pounds of a certain precursor chemical. The compound is often used to manufacture fentanyl. And its discovery could be a sign that producers are now manufacturing the deadly synthetic opioid on American soil. NTD's Faye Corder has the details. The powdered chemical was shipped from China and seized by agents Thursday morning from two locations in Tucson. 
According to the deputy special agent in charge for homeland security in the city, it arrived in the U.S. via a series of suspicious packages in recent months. The packages are being imported from China. Lamas said the agency launched the probe months ago. He added that it's still unclear who was involved and whether they're part of a local crime group or an international drug organization. If further investigation shows that the chemicals were destined for fentanyl production here in the U.S., the seizure could mark a new model for how it is manufactured, making it more readily available to consumers in the United States. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say two-thirds of the over 100,000 U.S. overdose deaths in 2021 were linked to synthetic opioids like fentanyl. I consider fentanyl to probably be the most dangerous controlled substance we've ever had to deal with. Fifty times more potent than heroin. It was originally developed as a legal drug to treat intense pain from ailments like cancer, but even a tiny dose can be fatal. What makes it uh, so much more dangerous is because it really doesn't discriminate in terms of economics. It's available to anybody. That's because it's cheap to produce and buy. As for how it gets into the U.S. These criminal organizations know that the emphasis is at the border in terms of uh, Customs and Border Protection, you know, looking for fentanyl. So if there's a way to circumvent uh, what we're normally looking for at the border by importing it in smaller quantities and perhaps producing it in domestic in the United States. In its powder form, fentanyl is often mixed with other drugs like heroin or methamphetamine. Now on to our special report today. The government is in a fight against fake organic foods. This is because people are selling non-organic food and falsely labeling it as organic. Now, the term organic food generally refers to food that's grown without the use of chemical fertilizers, pesticides, or other artificial components. Right now, organic foods is very popular. It's the reason why we're talking about it. There's a lot of incentive to label food as organic because there's a lot of money to be made from that. But products that are labeled organic and being sold at your local supermarket may not actually be organic. The government has come out with new rules to crack down on these fake organics. You know, like mandating people in the middle of the supply chain to be certified. It's also going to create more certification requirements for imports and conduct more inspections. The U.S. Department of Agriculture, or USDA, has a very stringent definition of organic. Farmers must meet their requirements or else they won't get the USDA-certified organic label. For example, farmers who want to sell organic meat have to raise their animals in a way that accommodates their natural behaviors. Cows, for example, must be able to graze in a pasture. They must be fed 100% organic food and they must not be given any, any antibiotics or hormones. Farmers who want to sell organic produce must not use any prohibited substances in their soil for three years prior to harvest. We spoke to the Organic Trade Association, which may be North America's only association of such type. It represents over 9,500 businesses along the entire organic supply chain. We talked to its vice president of regulatory and technical affairs, Gwendolyn Wired. When we look at it holistically, the benefits absolutely outweigh the costs. Now, there will be some increased costs due to additional record keeping. Um, There are additional operations that are going to need to get certified. Um, But again, the benefits of the rule far outweigh the costs. A recent study found that 82% of Americans 
buy organic foods. And the market is growing every year. One reason is people are more health conscious. Another reason people worry about all that chemical fertilizers and artificial substances, what they're doing to the environment. We asked food professor Sylvain Charbois from Dalhousie University about whether or not organic foods are better than non-organic foods. Depends of your perception. If you look at the literature, the scientific literature, from an environmental perspective, uh, the case is actually quite strong. Uh, from a nutritional perspective, uh, the debate is still ongoing. It depends on the product. Uh, it depends of uh, how you measure uh, nutritional benefits as well. So the jury is still out. Though people feel that organic food is healthier, we do acknowledge that there are debates surrounding organics. Farmer Ollie Harrison, who grows a variety of crops, says we can't feed the world's population without things like fertilizers, chemicals, and pesticides. Now, these are all things that go into non-organic foods. On his popular YouTube channel called Ollie Blogs Agricontract Farmer, he argues that growing organic food means growing less food. The organic means you're paying a premium for someone to farm unproductively with that land so that you can feel better about eating it while there's other people in the world starving. It's simple. There's an unnatural amount of people alive today because of modern science and we need modern science to, f- to feed them. And if it wasn't for the fact we invented fertiliser, we wouldn't have had a well-fed world with loads of mouths to feed. So that was it, growing population. Gwendolyn Wired from the Organic Trade Association says whether or not more organics will lead to less food is an interesting conversation to have for sure, though she believes it it may not necessarily be the case. In the beginning, organic farms, their yields may be lower, but then as as they go through that transition period, three, five, you know, additional years into the process, their systems become healthier and healthier, right? It's an ecological way of farming. And so as they build their soil fertility, as they improve their biodiversity, as they um, really create this thriving ecosystem, we see the yields going up. Organic food sales in America hit $57.5 billion in 2021. This is more than double the amount sold a decade ago. According to a recent study by Blue Weave Consulting, the organic market is expected to grow 65% by 2027. And taking a short break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, we check out America's fastest growing sport and hear from coaches and players why they like it so much. And Super Bowl 57 is almost here and preparations are underway in Arizona. The printing company behind the graphics for the game is hard at work. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. See if you can guess what sport I'm talking about. In 1965, three dads in the state of Washington couldn't find a full set of badminton rackets for their families to play with. So they improvised and invented a new sport. Since then, it's gained wild popularity. Let's take a look. Pickleball is played with a perforated ball and a paddle. The game has been spreading like wildfire across the U.S. in the last two years. Sabrina Palavra, a pickleball coach at Lifetime Fitness near Chicago, 
says pickleball participants at Lifetime have increased more than sixfold within a year. Well, just last year, um, we went from having 25,000 participants um, to 160 plus thousand participants, so our increase has been huge. Chris Visconti is a pickleball coach in the Highland Park District near Chicago. He says the Park District's pickleball program went from 30 people two years ago to 220 to date. He cites the social aspect as one reason for its popularity. Pickleball is social. It's like bowling. You're going bowling. You're playing. Um, you're playing uh, bocce ball. It's a fun game for a novice player, someone who's a beginner that can enjoy their game with their friends who've been playing sports all their lives. Palavra says being easy to learn is another reason for the sport's popularity. Um, pickleball is a little bit more friendly on the body. It's a little bit easier to learn. Um, so even if you have racket sport background or you don't. It's very easy to pick up. According to the Association of Pickleball Professionals, 36.5 million Americans participated in pickleball in the 12 months between August 2021 to August 2022. Earlier data from 2021 only hit 4.8 million. Margie Bordeaux started playing pickleball two and a half years ago. She calls it much more exciting than tennis. It's just so much fun. It, I have to tell you, I feel like our heart rate gets up higher playing pickleball than it does playing tennis. Amy Sklamberg played tennis for 20 years, but switched to pickleball in the summer of 2020 after the initial pandemic lockdown. She says she was hooked right away. It's just more fun. It's more social. You're closer to the to your teammates and your partner, and you can chit-chat a little more. And, you know, it's, it's just seems to be a little more recreational and fun than tennis to me. Lifetime member Valeria Nichols started playing two months ago. Yeah, and I love pickleball. It's a very fun game. It's easy to pick it up and easy to meet new people. The Highland Park District has four pickleball courts and Lifetime runs more than 400 courts across the country. Lifetime says it plans to expand to more than 700 courts by the end of 2023 to meet the fast-growing demand. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. Super Bowl 57 is just around the corner and preparations are underway in Glendale, Arizona. For a sign printing company, it's crunch time. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the last minute details. Large format printing company Blue Media is humming. Dozens of workers are preparing banners, decals, and a variety of graphics. They'll be used to decorate the State Farm Stadium, buildings in downtown Phoenix, the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, and the team hotels. Massive HP latex machines produce the signage. The biggest one is 18,000 square feet. You've got building graphics that can range all the way up to 70 feet wide by 300 feet tall that we're doing in a variety of different sizes and materials from perforated window vinyl, to a mix because we have some buildings that not only have glass on them but have textured surfaces. Hundreds of Super Bowl 57 props are ready to go weeks in advance, but banners with the two teams are more on deadline. We actually arrive with those four, final four teams and start producing the second the clock hits zero because we'll have a lot of the pieces that will be installed within 24 to 48 hours after we know who the teams are, we're already starting to install graphics with those teams on. 
Blue Media is working with the NFL on an immersive canyon experience that will lead fans into the ticketing area. It's inspired by Arizona's numerous canyons and red rock formations. Orr says the work for a Super Bowl starts about nine to ten months before the game. So um, we will, coming off this Super Bowl, we'll start working on the Super Bowl 58 in April uh, and putting everything together and going over, uh, you know, what are some of the different environments that we're working on, start planning out, you know, what we can do in each of those environments, working with the NFL on what could the designs look like. The AFC and NFC championship games are on January 29th. Super Bowl 57 will take place on February 12th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you Monday.